seated. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy House, and I want to welcome all of you. Also, want to welcome elementary age kiddos uh, to go down with Mr. Dan for the class, and uh, Anna as well. Awesome. Well, happy winter. We knew it was coming. Uh, pretty, pretty beautiful, amazing morning to wake up to. Thanks for uh, making it out here. Uh, we have been working through the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, we are winding down. We've got two more weeks, and it, it felt, I think last week, if you were here, it felt like we're done, like, like it should be over, like, like Moses gives this uh, charge to build a monument and build an altar and do a cheer when you get into the promised land. And it felt like we're done, but we're not done. We, we, we have another chapter and then another chapter. Um, and, and so what he's done, uh, in large part, is help them remember a lot of different things. And, and that's what we call this uh, series, Remembrance. He re- helped them remember the backstory to their even getting to the Promised Land, the uh, rescue from Egypt and the wandering around in the desert. The, he helped them remember God's making of the covenant at Mount Sinai with them. He helped them remember why it was that they were chosen to be the people that were in covenant with God at Mount Sinai. He helped them remember that they are going to be a worshiping community and explains to them what that's going to look like in the place where they're going uh, to have that worship. Uh, he gives them the code of ethics for how they're going to live out day, day in, daily kind of life uh, that will be the implications of being a worshiping uh, people. And then he ends it with uh, blessings and curses, saying this is what's going to be if you remain in the covenant, it's going to be a blessing. If you are outside the covenant, it's going to be uh, curses. And it, it feels like, okay, we're done. We got it. Blessings, curses, let's move ahead. Um, but he's not done. And here's, here's what he, he says here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. And when all things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And I'll stop right there. He's prophesying, okay? He's, he's letting them know. In the future, here's what's going to happen. In the future, what's going to happen is you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Isn't that a great ending to a big sermon, right? You're going to fail. You're going to experience the curses that are rolled out in this sermon. You're going to be driven out of the promised land that you're about to enter into. And I don't know, as a preacher, I look at that and I go, you know, that's just not a good way to finish. I, I was thinking, maybe some words like this. This is a, a song from the band, The Script. It says, you could be the greatest. You could be the best. You could be the King Kong banging on your chest. You could beat the world. You could beat the war. You could talk to God, go banging on his door, right? Like, like that, that kind of verbiage. And then they would start jumping up around Moses. Yes, we can do it. We can take out the Canaanites. But that's not what he does. He says, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. That's his big finish. But if we think about it long enough, we know that's probably a very honest way of approaching the Israelites. Because we know ourselves, do we not? We, anybody here acquainted with failure? Yeah, only like 12 of you. But, um, 
the 12 of you are going to have a great time with this sermon. You're really gonna, God's going to really minister to you. Um, but I'm part of those that have failed, right? To set a goal, whether to make an A or lose some weight or save some money, and you fail, right? Or failed at a dating relationship, failed in your marriage, failed in a friendship, failed in an academic pursuit, failed at work, failed at parenting, or failed at obeying the commands of God. I think we'd all have to say, yes, we've, we've failed, and Israel is going to fail. This is a pretty common experience among human beings, especially after the fall of human beings in the Garden of Eden and the entrance of sin and its effects. Everyone fails, and they fail at the most important thing, which is to obey the commands of God. We failed. So what Moses is telling Israel, and I say will tell us as well, is what we do when we fail. What do we do? Especially when we fail at obeying the commands of God. What do we do? So that's what this sermon is about. That's what, that's what this sermon is going to answer, that question. So again, hear, hear it again. And if you want to look at, it's going to be on the screen, but if you want to look in the, in the scriptures there, the Bible's under your chair. Deuteronomy 30, he says, When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God. You and your children and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. So he's telling them what to do. This is what you do when you fail, when you've experienced the, the curses that he's rolled out in this sermon. You recall and you return. This is what you do. You recall and you return. So you recall. He says, call them to mind. He's saying, you're going to be out there uh, having been driven out of the promised land. You've been experiencing the consequences of, of that, of having sinned against God. And you're going to recall these truths that Moses is giving them. You call them to mind. Um, it would be similar to if you, let's say, you were in the midst of finals. And you're totally swamped. And you called to mind that at the beginning of the semester, you said, I am going to read 150 pages every week. I'm going to do that diligently. But you didn't do that. And so you're cramming this week. Right? You called to mind that thing you said to yourself, that truth that you said to yourself. I'm going to read 150 pages a week so that when I get to finals, I will make straight A's in all my finals. Right? You call to mind. Or say you're running a home and... You're absolutely swamped with laundry, and you call to mind where you said to yourself maybe months ago, I'm going to wa wash a load of laundry every day. Just one. How hard is that? Wash it, dry it, fold it, put it away. I'm going to do that every day, and I'm not going to be... But here you are. You're standing in your basement. You're looking at this, this pile of, of laundry, and, and you're calling to mind the truth that you were telling yourself six months before. Or perhaps you're managing finances and, and you, you've said to yourself, I'm going to save $100 a month. I'm going to put that in the bank and put it away for emergencies. But here you, here you are. You're looking at your bank account. You have nothing in your bank account. And, you, and you're calling to mind this truth that you were telling yourself months ago and you, you haven't followed through on that. But, but, but it's not, that's not all you do, right? I mean, you don't just wallow in that pile of laundry down there in, 
in the basement. Like, but, but you are moving out of a state of denial. Because while that pile was, was increasing, or, or, or while you were getting further and further behind in your reading, you were telling yourself, oh, it's just this week. That's a busy week. I, I've got a lot of things going on. I don't have time for reading. Oh, I'm going to put that off because I need rest, and I'll read next week. I'll read 300 pages next week, and I'll catch up. But you, you, you were in denial. You were in denial. But in this moment, you suddenly, you actually recall, you become aware, and you go out of that state of denial, and, and you're actually telling yourself, the truth. We could also call this confession. It's part of what you're doing when you're confessing, confessing sin to God and to others. You, you, you're getting honest with what's really, really going on. But that, that recalling then leads you to return. Right? You return. He says, return to the Lord your God. Now again, let's, let's say... You're in the midst of finals, and you're, you're, you're swamped. But, but you, you return to that truth that you once knew, and you, you say to yourself, next semester, next semester I am going to read 150 pages, and I'm going to stay on top of my studies. And you return to that original truth. Or, or you're in that home full of laundry, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to knock this out this, this week, and then I'm going to get back on that track of one load a day, or that finances, right? You, you take that first 50 bucks, you put it in the savings account, and you, you're, re, you're returning, or you're repenting, we might say. You're repenting. But, 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 but for the Israelites, it's, it's more than just returning to some sort of list of commands, some list of helpful things to do for better living. They're returning to the Lord. It's personal. Their disobedience is not just disobedience to some sort of a of a command in a vacuum. This is a command of God. It, 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 he even says it comes from the voice of God. You listen to the voice of God. It's, it's personal. But much like if, if in, in your repentance in the midst of your finals, you are also thinking about your parents who are working double shifts to pay for your, your education. And you're thinking, me not studying is not, not just about me. It's not just about getting this good grade. It's also about this relationship that I have with my parents. Or, or perhaps the, the, the homemaker is thinking about how their spouse or their children, they need clean laundry, right? And when they don't ha- wash the laundry, it affects their spouse. It affects their children. Or perhaps the financial manager is thinking, if I don't save money, I'm not going to have money to pay for my kids' college education or whatever that thing is that they're trying to save for, it's, and it, it not just only affects them, it affects someone else. It's, it's personal. It's not just a, a command. It's not just a, a truth. It, it's personal. So, so what does it mean to turn, return to God? Um, he gives some indicators here that are helpful. One, he says, it's, it's you and your children. He, he, he's saying repentance is a family affair. It's not just about an individual and their relationship with God. It's about a fam- the families of Israel are returning. And that, that's so important because uh, kids imprint on their parents. They learn from their parents. Um, it's one of the scariest things about being a parent. When, when you're listening to your, your child on, on certain days and you hear certain things that come out of their mouths, whether it be like pride or judgmental kind of talk or 
or, or just all kinds of different things, and you hear yourself, it's scary, right? Because they're just picking that up in the water that they're drinking in, in your home. Like, like, like you, you are imprinting with them. So uh, that's, that's true negatively, but it's also true positively. One of the, the coolest moments, I think, for us as parents over time has, has been the result of us going to our kids and saying we're sorry. Right? Parents are sinners. Parents uh, have to say they're sorry to the kids. Sorry I snapped at you. Sorry I was short with you. Sorry I, I forgot this thing that I said I was going to do. And, and it's very humbling to say that you know, to your, like your 10-year-old. But then when your 10-year-old, a couple weeks later, comes to you and says, Dad, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you hear that, and you know where they got that. They got that from you. They, they heard that. They saw that done. And they, they saw what repentance looked like. And then they do repentance. And so God is calling the families of Israel to be doing that, for, for mommy and daddy to be repenting, but also leading their kids to repent, to return to the Lord. Now, part of that repenting is to obey. Right? Obey, he says, his voice in all that I command you. I don't want you to just feel kind of warm and fuzzy. Oh, I'm returning to you, God. I just feel good about you, God. No, obey. You're turning away from disobedience. You're turning toward obedience, the obedience of those commands that were given. And Jesus ties our love for God with obedience. He says, if you love me, in John 14, he says, obey my commands. Now, when he says that, he's not saying you earn Jesus' love by obeying commands. He says you obey the commands because you love Jesus. And you know that he has loved you first. He says also in John, greater love has no man than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. And he's saying to his disciples, I'm laying my life down to you. I love you unconditionally. Now, in response to that, love me. And I want more than warm fuzzies. I want you to obey my commands as a way of showing your love. But the way in which he wants that obedience displayed is is not like through gritted teeth, just checking the box. He says, I want it to be with all your heart and with all your soul. This is powerful. With all your heart and with all your soul. I want, yes, obedience to commands, but I want that to come from the very core of your being. The place from which your your mind, your will, your emotions spring out from, your heart. I want your obedience to come from there. Not just checking an external list, but from from your heart. And we all want this. We all want this kind of of love, this this kind of obedience. Uh, If you think about this, say mom and dad, say good job on your finals. This is great. You you worked hard. You respected us. You you knew that we were working hard to pay your tuition. And you, you say to them, you know, really, actually, I didn't want to do a good job for you. Really, I hate you. Really, really I, I feel distant from you. All I really wanted to do was binge on Netflix. But I knew it was the right thing to do to get a 4-0 for you, mom, dad. Nobody wants that. <laughs> no parent wants that. Right? Or, or let's say the, the, the spouse and the kids, this is probably not going to happen, it should happen, but let's say the spouse and the kids say, thank you for washing our laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Th- 
thank you for that, that fresh laundry smell that I, I, I get to experience when I put on my shirt and get to go to school with, with clean laundry. And thank you so much. And, and, and the, you know, the parent says, actually, I despise washing your dirty underwear. I hate it. No one wants that. No one wants that. Uh, let's say the, the adult kids say to the, the, the parent that's managed the finances and been able to pay for cash, all their schooling, they don't have any debt, and the kids are like, thank you so much, all my friends are in debt, and I'm not in debt, thank you so much, and the parent says, actually, I hated every minute of it. What I really wanted to do was buy a yacht and go around the world, but then we had you, <laughs> right? And so then I had to work my tail off to make a whole bunch of money so I could send you to Amherst College, okay? Right? Nobody wants that. Neither does God. God doesn't want that either. He, don't, he doesn't want obedience through some kind of gritted teeth. Well, I know it's the right thing to do. But inside, our hearts are resentful. Or they're angry, they're bitter. Toward God. He says, no, no, I don't want that. Yes, I want you to obey my voice and all that I command you, but I want you to do that with all of your heart and with all of your soul. God, God wants this to be a heart and soul kind of obedience. And this is throughout Deuteronomy, over and over again. The heart is mentioned so many times, but here's, here's if you know any verse from Deuteronomy, verses, this is probably one you know from Deuteronomy 6, where verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This, this, is, this is what he wants. Right? That as, as we recall, we then return. And in that return, it's not just outward command, obedience to outward commands, but it is from the heart. And God's response to that, verse 3, the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He'll have mercy on you. He'll gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. He restores you. He restores Israel. Now, he, he's restoring Israel's fortune. So part of their covenant, part of their promises is, is, is this material part of their promise. And he's saying, you're going to have that restored to you if you return to me, heart and soul. And how does he accomplish that? He accomplishes that, he accomplishes that via mercy. And what mercy is, is it's a withholding of deserved punishment. And so he's not giving them what they deserve. The, the only reason they're being restored is because they're, they're admitting. They're returning to God and they're saying, you know, I, I've disobeyed these commands. I, I've turned away from you, Lord. Forgive me. And God's response to that is, is Mercy. It's mercy, and, and part of what he does in his restoration is not just restore individuals with God, but he restores the community to one another, right? He, he, he describes this, I, I, he will gather you again, right, from all the peoples. He, he, he's going to take them from being a scattered people to being a gathered people, and they're going to be brought back into community. True reconciliation of individual human beings always results in the reconciliation of human beings within their community, right? And, and this is the only way true reconciliation can come about. It's through first being reconciliated to God, 
It's the only way marriages can be reconciliated, is if husband and wife are reconciliated with God. It's the only way that parents and children can be reconciliated, really. The only, only way black and white, rich and poor, men and women, the only way we can truly be reconciled is by being reconciled with God, restored with God, and then restored with one another. Restoration comes as a gift from God. It's a gift. It's interesting to watch some politicians who have done things that have been uh, against their constituents, and so they're trying to reconcile with their constituents. And so what they're, they're doing is giving lip service oftentimes to repentance in order to get reconciliation with their constituents. But it's not working is <laughs> for most of us. Because there's not been a true reconciliation with God, which then leads to a true reconciliation with other people. Because when it comes from God, it's a gift from God. Then there's hope that it could actually happen in the horizontal relationships. So you may say, okay, got it. Got it. I got to recall. I got to return. And then God restores. Easy as that. Well, there's, there's a problem with that. Part of it is that our, our own hearts are incapable of the kind of obedience that I described earlier. <laughs> we have a spiritual cardiac condition. I talked about it a few weeks ago, and Moses talks about this, uh, both the, the, the condition and the cure. And he restates it here. I think it must be important if he restated it. Verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So he's saying, you don't have the heart to love me with all your heart and mind, soul, strength. You, You need spiritual heart surgery. And I talked about that a few weeks ago, and you can go back and listen to that more extensively. But, but here what he's saying in general, he's saying, I'm not only giving you grace if you return, I'm giving you grace so you can return. That's grace. In that, that's amazing grace. Not just if you return, but I'm going to give you grace so you can return. I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to do spiritual heart surgery on you so that your heart can actually love me. Heart and soul obedience. It's a miracle of God. Now, you say, well, how how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, he describes it, starting with verse 11. This is is amazing. Okay, it's amazing scriptures. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. (laughs) What? I'm thinking like Snickers in the crowd. Like, what did, what did he say? Unless they're asleep by chapter 30. I don't know. Maybe they are. Did he just say, this isn't too hard for us? And then he goes on to explain. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us? That we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us? that we may hear and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't have to go up to heaven, right? You don't have to like go into some sort of spiritual trance where you sort of transpose yourself into some other world and there you you can like reach some sort of a, a spiritual state whereby you can then actually do this obedience from the heart. You don't have to do that. 
You also don't have to make some pilgrimage over some long journey and go to some special holy place in order to get there and have some sort of spiritual experience so that your heart can be changed and then you can do this obedience from the heart and soul. No, no, you need the Word. The Word of God. And yeah, it's in your mouth. Right? You need, you need to understand it. You need, it's, it's, it's intellectual in terms of it's, it, there's a concept that has to be understood, and, and you can communicate that with your mouth, and, and you can write it down on paper. And yeah, yeah but, but, but there's more to it than that. It's also in your heart. Now, what does he mean by that? Moses, what are you talking about? The words in my mouth, I get that. Like, learn it, study it, write it, memorize it, talk about it. Yeah, but in my heart? What are you saying? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul explains it in Romans 10. Some of you know Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 5, this is on the screen here. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Does that sound familiar? He's quoting Deuteronomy. Right? He quotes Leviticus first. He's he's contrasting two ways to get righteous. Right? Number one way, he says, and he quotes Moses, you got to live out the commandments. Right? He says that you shall live by them. Which that doesn't work, because our hearts need surgery. Right? And he says, okay, the second way you can get righteousness is if, if you put your trust in the Word, the Word of faith, he calls it. You're like, okay, what's this Word of faith? What are you talking about? Well, look, look at verse 9 and 10. He tells them what the Word of faith is. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead... You will, be, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your heart can be changed, and it can be changed by believing in the gospel. That's what he's talking about. This word that Moses was saying is in, in your heart. If you trust in this word, your heart will be circumcised. Your heart will be transformed. You will be able to obey God, not just outward obedience, not just through clenched teeth. You will obey God from your heart, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, because there'll be a transformation that happens via your belief in the gospel, in the word. This is good news. This is good news. This is belief in the power of Christ to restore you. This is what Christ is doing on the cross. He's he's making a way for us to be restored to God. And what must you do to receive that? You must turn to God. Return. Confess that sin. Recall and return. Return. Believe in this restoration that God has made possible in Christ. It's not just some list that you're going to tick off. It, it, it's a heart transformation that comes through belief 
in the gospel. It's what we're going to be celebrating in the baptismal pool, beginning of first service. I want to encourage you guys to hang around for the beginning of, of, the, of the next service, second service, because we're going to do a baptism. It's, it's partly what's being expressed there. That This is more than just I'm, I'm signing off on some list of commands. It's saying I've gone through an experience of, of transformation where I've died to my old life and I've been raised to a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's come via trust in the gospel. It's not just a list of commands. It's an internal restoration leading to obedience in the external. Right? We cannot fix our failure. That's, that's our knee-jerk reaction, though, our default. Like, I've got to fix this. I've got to fix this. I had a, f- a failure this week. I was uh, chopping vegetables in the uh, kitchen. I was trying to help my wife, who, who was putting on this amazing spread for a party that we were having. And, she, you know, she should have known better to get me in there. But I get in there, and I'm chopping vegetables, and, and I'm, I'm running them down the disposal. Now, that's, not, that's a failure in our house because our disposal not that, not, not that great, and, and the, the plumbing is running slow, and we know that. And so we've been kind of babying this kitchen sink because we know if we put too much down it, it's going to clog it up. And I'm just not thinking, and I'm just throwing stuff down there. And, and Melanie looks over at me, and she sees me doing that. She's like, hey, uh, real, really gentle. Like She's like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just doing it. I'm just... <laughs> and then I mean like four minutes later, it clogs. And we're 30 minutes from having like you know 15 people in our house. And it backs up, and there's just like this smelly kind of sewery smell coming back up through there. And, but, but then people are there, so I can't do anything about it. And so the whole party, I'm, I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, at the end of this party, i got to figure out how to get this fixed. So people leave. I get the plunger out. I'm trying to fix it. I get my little plumber snake, and I'm like running it down in the pipe. And I'm trying, and I'm trying, and trying, and partly because I don't want to pay the plumber to fix it the next day, okay? And I can't fix it. And I go to bed, and I come back, and I get up in the morning, and there it is. It's just looking at me, just staring at me, like, fail. <laughs> you failed, man. What were you thinking? So I call the plumber, and I'm just, I'm just dreading it because I don't want to pay this huge bill. And the plumber comes in, and he looks at it, and he's like, okay. And he does a few things. He's like, this is really bad. This is a really bad clog. <laughs> okay, okay, just do your thing. Just, just, get, just fix it, okay? Just fix it. And he pulls out like every little clean out on the whole, you know, drain pipe. And he works, I mean, we're talking like two hours he's working. And I'm, I'm just, the, the meter's running. I'm just thinking, this is going to be like a $500 job. I, I don't have $500 to give the plumber. So I can't fix it and I can't pay to fix it. And then he calls me up. Now, Mitchell was hanging out with me in the basement. We were talking and chatting about worship and stuff. And, and uh, the plumber's like, hey, you two, come on up. I'm like, okay, great. So we go in the kitchen, and he's, he's got both sinks filled with just cold, clear, beautiful water, you know, and it's, so it's obviously fixed. And he, he pulls out the drains just to show us, like, and they, they just drain beautifully, you know, and I was just like, oh, man, that's just a beautiful sight, you know, the, the kitchen, the kitchen. And he says, I'm not going to charge you. I'm not going to charge you. He said, it, it's been a blessing to be here. Now, this guy's a Christian. I knew that. Okay, not that I didn't think he was, you know, I I expected to pay him full price, but he, we had talked about his faith and what God was doing in Mercy House, and he met Mitchell, and there's just, there's just some sweet fellowship that went on during that two hours of roto-rootering, and 
And he just said, I've been blessed so much. I, I just, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for free. And it was, it was just a little, little gospel moment for me, a little taste of grace because I couldn't fix the problem and I couldn't pay to fix the problem. And that's you and me. That's the kind of situation we're in, except it's a hell of a lot worse than plumbing. Right? We can't fix it and we can't pay to fix it. And the only way we're going to be restored to God is if Jesus pays to fix it. And he has. If you haven't received that free gift of grace and forgiveness this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. Be restored. You, you hear it in Moses' uh, appeal at the end. He's like, choose life. Choose life. Somebody's using his same words. Choose life. Every other avenue is death. Look to Christ's death on the cross for your life. It's what we remember every time we come to this table. We, we remember that because of Christ's death, we get life. Not something we paid for, not something we were able to work to fix. It's something that God did by grace. He restored us. And so he, you know, Jesus is, is sitting there with his disciples. He's, he's taking bread and giving thanks for it. He's breaking it. He's giving it to his disciples. He's saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. He's compelling him to take the fix. There's no amount of, of mystical experiences or, or religious obediences that, that are ever going to fix the problem. The only fix is Christ. And he's compelling them to choose life. In the same way, he took the cup. And after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He's letting them know not only does this, 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 this fix that he is offering restores them individually, but it, it, it restores them as a community. They're, they're being restored. They're being going from a scattered people to a gathered people. And this is why we take communion together. You don't go home in the privacy of your home and like, I'm going to give myself communion. I'm going to have a communion moment. No, you don't do that. If you're doing that, stop that, okay? <laughs> You do it together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of our preparation for this table is, is to recall, right? To recall and to return. As we think about the week, we're, thinking, we're recalling, we're thinking about our failures. But we can think about failures without panicking because we restored, Christ has restored us. We live in that reality always. And because of the safety of that restoration given to us in the cross, we can recall and we can return. So before you come up here, to take, just take a, take a time, or, or if you want to get the bread in the cup and then go sit down and recall and return, but use this time to recall, to return, and to celebrate that you've been restored. If you're here this morning and, and you're just you're investigating the faith, you're beginning to ask the questions and have the conversations and you know you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to not take the bread and the cup. It, this, is, this is not something for just everybody. It's for those that have trusted in Christ. And we're glad you're here. We, we want you to be here. And we would love to have a conversation after the service to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. But during this time, to just remain in your seat and to pray and to think about what you're hearing. So let's pray. 
Lord, as, as we are reminded of your blood-bought restoration of us to you, of us to one another, God, it gives us the safe space to recall and to return. So, Lord, help us not to drill down morbidly into all every sin we've ever committed, but, God, in your Holy Spirit's power, help us in the season of Advent, Lord, to, to confess authentically, empowered by your Spirit, and then to return to you, God, in a fresh way this morning. Thank you for the grace that makes that possible. Thank you for the, the fix that you've paid for that we could have never done or paid for ourselves. And we pray a blessing over the cup and over the bread and over our time together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.